All right, so we're in 1 John. So if you've noticed, 1 John has a theme. And love is a theme in 1 John. Loving God, which translates into what? Loving one another. Now, we've talked a lot about love, and we're going to talk about love again today because we see that John is being very repetitious. Or we might say the Holy Spirit has inspired John to put so much repetition in this letter concerning what love is and who love is and what it means to love. I think this is very relevant in the world that we live in today because we're living in a world that does not know what love is. It thinks it knows what love is. It tells the church all the time, you're not loving, you're not being like God, you're not being like Jesus. If you truly loved, you wouldn't say the things you say, you wouldn't preach the things you preach, you wouldn't take the stands that you take, because love is not that. And so, John, you realize that John is not dealing with different problems than we're dealing with today. We're living 2,000 years on the other side of John's letter. But in reality, John is writing about the very same sins, the very same rebellion, the very same things that he was dealing with in the church at that time that was in the world at that time. So this is not something new. And we are tempted to say, okay, I got it already. We're to love one another. I got that. Can we move on to something else? But John did not do that. Another thing I think that's important to point out is that John is writing this letter because there was heresy, there was error in the church. And he is, here in chapter 4, chapter 4 begins with test the spirits and see whether they are of God. And John is writing this theme of love, of abiding in God's love and loving one another in the context of dealing with false teachers that are trying to come into the church and, and destroy the church. It is so similar to what we have going on today in the church. When the world is pressuring the church to redefine love, to redefine who God is, to redefine who Jesus is, they've already redefined all of that. Now they're putting pressure on the church to say, you need to get current. You need to come up to date. Stop living in this old out-of-date book and these old out-of-date ideas. And you need to understand what true love is, and it's not what your Bible says. And unfortunately, there are men and women in the church who are bowing to that pressure. There are pastors and leaders who are bowing to that pressure because they fear man more than they fear God. And they want the approval of man because they think that if we can just get people in our churches and they can hear something from the Bible, then the Spirit of God can move on them perhaps and maybe they'll get saved. That's not what Jesus told us to do. Not even close. 
So as we look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, we're going to see John's constant exhortation again. My little children love one another. I quoted to you a few weeks ago from Jerome talking about John. I want to read this again. It says, When the brethren present wearied of hearing the same thing so often, they asked John why he always repeated the same thing. And John's reply was, Because it is the commandment of the Lord, and if this one thing be attained, it is enough. But I want us to understand this one thing, which is to love, is not love the way the world defines it. It is the way the Scripture defines it. It is the same way that God loved us and Jesus loved. So we need to grow to grasp what it means to love and and to obey that command, that exhortation. My little children love one another. 1 John chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. That is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news that saves us. The good news that is the power of God to salvation. And Lord, even as we looked at this last week and we talked about Paul's statement in Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And what that means is the gospel will never fail to do what God has sent it forth to do. We never have to worry whether the gospel will work or not. The gospel is the power of God to salvation, and the gospel will accomplish what God has sent it forth to do. Father, give us the grace and the boldness to open our mouths and allow the truth to come forth, that your gospel would go forth, and your power would work in the hearts of those that you have chosen for salvation. Father, we thank you that you have graced us and you have given us this gift. And you have entrusted us with your gospel. And you have sent us out to proclaim it and to make disciples. Lord, that is love. That is the command that we are to love just as Jesus has loved us. We are to love one another. And so tell men the truth and live the truth, and witness the truth to them, not only in word, but in deed and in truth. Father, give us the grace to do this, that you would be glorified in your church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, I want to start, I started with verse 11. We actually ended with verse 11 last week, but I wanted to start with verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God, God's love demands our love for one another. So John is making this very clear. If we love God, then we will love one another. I wanted to start with verse 11 to give us the context for verse 12. John is being very consistent with the message of his letter. The message is that if we love God, we will love one another and we will know that God abides in us and that we abide in God. John has made this statement several times. This is a message of hope and assurance for those abiding in God and his love. And it is a warning for those who are not abiding in God. In God's love. If we do not love one another, the love of God is not in us. For we know that God does not abide in those who do not love. Thus John's exhortation, my little children, love one another. What we need to do is to, we need to be careful that we understand the biblical definition of love. That we are not simply buying into the world's thoughts and the world's false beliefs and the world's definition of love. We've got to go back to the scripture, back to the word, and we have to let the word define for us what love is. Or we could say it like this, we have to define for us who love is. All right, verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has not been perfected in us. So no one has seen God at any time, but who can I see? I can see my brother. I can see my sister. I see you today. The beginning of this verse about no one seeing God may seem out of context, but it is not. John is pointing out that no one has seen God at any time, He's doing that because he's pointing out the fallacy of saying that I love God while at the very same time I hate my brother. And John says that's impossible. You cannot love God and hate your brother. If you hate your brother, the love of God is not in you. If we do not love those we can see, how can we actually love God whom no one has seen at any time? And John's point in reminding us that no one has seen God is a reminder that our love for God must translate into our love for one another. Our love is not in word or in tongue, but our love must be in deed and in truth. In other words, our love must be seen. No one has seen God at any time. I can see my brother, and my love for my brother must be seen because that love for one another is what testifies to God's love. God's love is to be perfected in us. John points this out. He says, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. John points out two very important things in verse 12. The first is to again remind us that if we love one another, God abides in us. And the second is equally important, that our love for one another is the sign that God's love 
has actually been perfected in us. In other words, if we love one another, it's a sign that God's love has been made perfect or complete in us. Now, this does not mean that we no longer grow in love because we're now perfect. That's not what John is saying. We must always be growing in love, and we must always be growing up into Him in all things. I personally believe we will do that throughout eternity. Because God is infinite, which means He has no beginning and He has no end. We are not going to reach a point where, up. Oh, I'm perfected in love now. Got that down. No. To grow up in Him in all things, to be conformed to His image, His infinite endless image means that throughout all eternity we will be growing in the grace and the knowledge of God because we will never come to an end of who he is and what he is there will always be something that we will discover and grow into because because of the very nature of who God is so don't be fooled here into thinking that now that we love one another, we are somehow perfect. That's not what John is saying. It does mean, though, that God's love in us is accomplishing what love is meant to do. God put His love in us so that we might show the love of God through our love for one another. And as we love one another, we're showing what God's love in us is actually meant to do. If we're not loving one another, if we're not loving our brother, God's love is not complete in us. God does not pour His love into our hearts so that we can hoard it for ourselves. You know, we've we've gone through this time, there were several decades where everything was about your personal relationship with Jesus. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And, and, and we should have a personal relationship with Jesus. But I believe we've emphasized that so much to the exclusion that we have a corporate relationship with Jesus as well. Because we are all members of His body. So the love of God that's been poured into our lives is not something for us just to hoard for ourselves. God pours His love into our hearts so that His love can be shed abroad as we love one one another, giving witness to the love of God. I would submit to you that, that if not more, we are called to a corporate relationship with Jesus, if, if, at least an equal, if not more than, and I believe it's more than, a personal relationship with Jesus. And I think John is proving it because he's saying, you loving God is not enough. Because if you don't love your brother, then the love of God's not in you. And that tells me that our relationship to the Lord is not just a personal. It is more of a corporate relationship. And this is why we are commanded to gather, to assemble together. The writer of Hebrews says this, provoking one another to love and good works, let us not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And you see that the writer of Hebrews says, you're not gathering for you. You're gathering for your brothers and sisters. Yes, you will benefit. Yes, you will reap great benefit and great blessing. But we are to consider one another. And when we come together here, we provoke each other to love and to good works. 
because we are called into, we were born into the body of Christ, which is not just me and Jesus. It is Jesus and his universal body across all time and across all space until he comes again to rule and to reign on this earth. So once again, John is letting us know that the proof of God abides in us and that his love has been perfected in us and is seen in the love that we have for one another. It's not whether we physically see God or not. No one has. It's that God and his love is seen and known in us in a real and tangible way. God, who is love, is to be seen in us through our love for one another. It is our love that bears witness to God. It is seeing and experiencing the love of God in one another that testifies that God abides in us. John is reemphasizing this multiple times throughout this letter because he does not want the believers to be deceived into thinking that they can have their own personal thing going on with Jesus and it doesn't matter about everybody else. I have people as a pastor tell me this quite frequently. And they find out I'm a pastor and immediately there is guilt there. And they'll say something like, well, you know, pastor, I, I, don't, I don't go to church because, you know, but I love God and I've got my relationship with God and, you know, me and God, I go out on the lake and fish or I go out and sit under the tree and, and me and God, we have a relationship. I just want you to know that, but church just isn't for me. Sometimes, I'll expand on the conversation with them if I feel the Lord has said, answer the fool. Sometimes God says, just leave it. Because here's the thing. What does it mean to love God? Well, John is making it very clear it means much more than just me and my relationship with Jesus. To love God has an impact on everyone around me and we can't deny that. We can't ignore that. The fact that no one has seen God doesn't negate God or His love. God so loved us, He gave His only begotten Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And He also gave us His Spirit. And His Spirit in us testifies that we abide in Him and that He abides in us. Verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. So the Spirit of God testifies that we abide in Him. You see, there are several things here that John is saying testify that God abides in us and we abide in Him. One of them here in verse 13 is the Spirit that He has given us. So John's statement here in verse 13 harkens back to his gospel account when Jesus is with his disciples at the Last Supper and he's telling them of his departure and, and his sending the Helper, the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit. And he says to them that he will send them that Helper, that Spirit to dwell in them. And Jesus also, in these verses, equates our love for him with our obedience to his commandments, which John does in his letter, throughout his letter. So let's read 
The Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. The words of Jesus. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So John's statement in 1 John 13 is perfectly consistent with the words of Jesus in John 14, 20. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Again, let me read 1 John 4, 13. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. So John declares in his letter, by this we know that we abide in Him because He's given us His Spirit. Truly the Spirit given to us testifies that He abides in us and that we abide in Him. Jesus said, the world cannot receive this, for it neither sees him nor knows him. This is why we don't listen to the world when they are defining for us who God is, who Jesus is, what the Bible says, and what love is. I don't care how right it sounds. If it's not according to this word, this holy scripture, it's not right. And this is why John begins this chapter with test the spirits and see whether they are of God. And the spirit of the world is not of God. No matter how right it may sound to our intellect or to our emotions. Remember, we talked about this on Wednesday night as we're going through Romans. Romans 8, 9, and 10 is not a, or 10, 9, and 10 is not a formula for salvation. There, there is no formula for salvation. You're not saved by a formula. You're saved because the Spirit of God chooses to come and sit enthroned on your heart, the new heart He gives to you. And so we don't live by our emotions, we live by the Spirit of God. We don't live controlled by our emotions, we live filled with the Spirit or controlled by the Spirit of God. And this is what John is saying here. The Spirit in you testifies that you abide in God and that God abides in you. We should have that witness. People say to me also, well, you know, if God would just show himself to me, like if he would just appear to me, then I would believe. No, you wouldn't. Because you're trying to equate your salvation with some intellectual understanding, some visual, physical thing, and your salvation is none of that. Your salvation is a miracle. It's spiritual. It, it comes from God. It doesn't come from man. It doesn't come from your 
a revelation in your intellect. It doesn't come from an aha moment. It comes supernaturally to you from God, directly to your heart. And until that heart is changed, you are not saved. No matter how much you go to church, no matter how much you read your Bible, no matter how much you think you understand, until God changes your heart and does a miracle here, you're not saved. And the reality is you think you understand a lot about God. The world, you hear it and you see it all the time. They think they understand so much about God. In fact, way more than the church does. And they may be right in some aspects, because not everybody who calls themselves the church is the church. But if we do call ourselves the church, then this is what should be guiding us and leading us and informing us and teaching us And the Holy Spirit in you that testifies that God abides in you and you abide in God, that Holy Spirit in you is the one illuminating that word, bringing it to life and bringing revelation to you so that you are being changed and transformed, conformed to the very image of Jesus. Verse 14, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. John says, We have seen the Son sent by the Father. Again, John testifies to his eyewitness account of Jesus. John walked with Jesus and beheld Jesus in his glory. John testifies to this in the opening line of his letter, 1 John 1.1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. This echoes the testimony in his gospel account in John chapter 1, verse 14, when John writes, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has seen God at any time, but John is encouraging the believers that he has personally seen, and he is testifying that the Father has sent the Son, as the Savior of the world. And the testimony is not only in the words of the Apostle, but the testimony is in his life. And this is what John is saying in this letter. Your testimony about your love for God cannot just be in your words. Your testimony for the love of God has got to be in your life. And what your life looks like. And how you live your life. It's not only the testimony of an eyewitness. More importantly, John is saying, look at our lives. See the transformation in God's love that has taken hold of us and in all who confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Now, This is where we're tempted to make this a formula. Well, the Bible says if I confess Jesus is the Son of God, then then God abides in me and I abide in God. Yes, it does say that. But you may not understand what that verse is really meaning. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to confess that Jesus is the Son of God? In other words, our confession is more than our words. Again, the transformation that takes place in the life of the believer is not one of only word and tongue, but it must be seen in deed and in truth. Not only our words, but our whole life must testify to the truth 
of his love that is perfected in us. What does it mean to confess that Jesus is the Son of God? The short and true answer is, it means that we walk just as he walked. That's what it means. It's easy to parrot words. And this is why John is saying, you can say you love God all day long, but until I see you love one another the way Jesus has loved us, your confession of love is meaningless, for you're showing me that the love of God is really not in you. And this is what it means to confess that Jesus is the Son of God. It is to walk just as He walked. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. That is a simple statement of truth. It is the weight of that confession and all that it implies for our life that we must consider. John has previously made this statement about God abiding us and us abiding in God. We find it at the end of 1 John chapter 3, verse 24. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. We also just read 1 John 4.12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. So we know that God abides in us when we keep His commandments. We know that God abides in us by the Spirit that He has given us. We know that God abides in us by our love, for one another, and we know that God abides in us if we confess that Jesus is the Son of God. So our confession that Jesus is the Son of God means that His Spirit abides in us. It means that we love one another as He has loved us. It means that we keep His commandments. It means all of those things. It may sound like a simple thing to confess Jesus is the Son of God. Many people at many times has, have confessed this truth. And the power is not in the words coming out of a person's mouth. The power is in the heart from which those words issue forth. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We can speak those words, but the power is speaking them from a heart of faith where the Spirit of God is enthroned. To confess Jesus is the Son of God implies much more about our life than simply the words we confess from our mouth. They need to line up. Our confession needs to line up with our life. No doubt about that. To confess that Jesus is the Son of God from a heart of faith is to live a life of obedience to the Word of God. It is to know the Holy Spirit abides in us. And it is to love God and to love one another as He has loved us. All of that comes from the endless resource of love poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We're not doing this out of our own resource. This is the grace of God. This is the power of God that lives and abides and dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. If you think you're loving out of your own resources, that's what the world does. We're not called to love out of our own resources. We're called...
to love out of the endless, infinite resource of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. This is what John is trying to get us to understand. This is what he's warning the church about. He's saying, stop listening to those false teachers tickling your ears with things that sound so nice. Go back to the Word of God. Go back to the Scripture and know that your ability to love doesn't come from your own resource. It comes from the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And that Spirit dwelling in you will bear witness and testify that God abides in you and that you abide in God. And if you do, then you're going to love one another the way Jesus loved. And you're going to walk in obedience to Jesus just as Jesus commanded. Because what we do in the flesh does matter. Our obedience matters. Our salvation is not defined by our flesh. But we're living right now in these bodies. And this is our witness. What our bodies do, what our bodies don't do. What our mouths say, what our mouths don't say. How we live our life, how we don't live our life. This is our witness. And John says if love is in you, that witness is going to come out of the whole of your life. This is why formula prayers or repeat after me prayers can give false assurance. Repeating words from our intellect here, not here, and not from a heart of faith will never save us. God must transform our hearts, implant faith, and make us new creations in a new birth by His Spirit. Not only our words, but our entire life must testify to our faith and our love for God. And when God saves us, we will surely confess it and live it. This is what John is saying. This is what John is writing to the believers, reminding them of, encouraging them and warning them at the same time. Verse 16 And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. We are to know and we are to believe the love that God has for us. Every one of us who call ourselves followers of Christ are to know the love that God has for us. God wants you to know his love. We may confess all sorts of things from our mouth, both true and false. And as important as our confession is, John is emphasizing that it is not what we confess with our mouth that is most important, but how we live our lives. We are to live life as God's children, knowing and believing the love that God has for us. We are to know that God is love. And we are to abide in that love, knowing that as we do, we abide in God, and God abides in us. What does abide, who abides in God, and who does God abide in? John reduces the answer down to this. He who abides in love, abides in God, and God in him. It sounds so simple. The world quotes it all the time, but they don't understand what John is really saying. Love is love. No, love is not love. God is love. Somebody said in Sunday school this morning, love requires a direct object. I like that. See, to the world, love is just this subjective standard. Truth 
is this subjective standard. And I submit to you that Scripture is very clear. There's nothing subjective about love and there's nothing subjective about truth. And love is not just some force out in the universe. Love demands a direct object. And this is what John is saying. Love God and love one another. If you abide in love, that means you're going to love God and obey His commandments. And that also means you're going to love one another because the direct object God commands what he's telling us to direct our love to is to one another. And he says, if you are doing that, then you don't have to worry about the love that you have for me because I see it in the love that you have for one another. There is a statement in this verse that's extremely important that we may, may be easy to pass over if we're not careful. It's this little but powerful statement that God is love. John writes this truth twice in his letter, both in chapter 4, once in verse 8 and once in verse 16. In verse 8, John writes, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And in verse 16, that we just read, he writes, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. There's a negative and there's a positive here. So let's consider these statements from these two verses. Verse 8, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. If we do not know God, we cannot truly love. Why? Because God is love. If I do not love, if I do not know or do not have God who is love, then I cannot truly love. It's not that I won't, it's that I cannot. If God is love and I do not have God abiding in me, I cannot give that which I do not have. If I do not have God abiding in me, then I cannot love, for God is love. When we're communicating with the world, interacting with the world, and they're talking to us about love, we need to understand this truth. They don't know what they're talking about because they can't know because God is who is love, does not abide in them. Therefore, all their ideas about love are from their own creation or somebody else's. Now, it's not that they can't say the truth, they can't quote the Scripture. But you understand what I'm saying. We go back to the Word of God, we go back to the Scripture for our definitions and for our understandings of these foundational things. So let's look at this. So, so this is why the world doesn't know love, because God is love and the world doesn't know God. So they don't have God, so they don't have love. Now let's look at verse 16. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God. If we do know God, we may truly love. We have the ability, in fact, we are commanded to love. If we know God, in other words, if we've been saved by God's grace, and God has poured His love in us, then we know God, and we are commanded to love, which means we may do it. We have the capacity to do it. And if we don't, we're in disobedience. So if we do know God, we may truly love. Why? Because God is love. If I know God and have God who is love, then I will love. If God is love and I have God abiding in me, I will give that which has been given to me. If I have God abiding in me, 
and I am in him, then I will love, for God is love. This is what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. Produced in and through the children of God by the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Produced in them who abide in love, who abide in God. If we are abiding in the true vine, who is Christ, and His Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, we are in Him and He is in us, and so our life will produce the fruit of His Spirit as we abide in Him. There are not nine fruits of the Spirit. There is one fruit of the Spirit that is defined by nine characteristics. And if we were to go to Galatians 5.22, we would see the very first characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit is love. And just like the, the apostles who answered, why do you always say the same thing? Because if you get this down, you got it all. And you don't have to worry about trying to master nine different fruits of the Spirit. If you master love, you're going to master all nine characteristics. Not that we don't pay attention to those nine characteristics, but you understand what I'm saying here. This is what John, John is talking about the fruit of the Spirit. If God abides in you, then love is going to come out because that is the fruit of the Spirit. That is the defining characteristic that Jesus focused on with His disciples. Not to the exclusion of others, but to help them understand what was necessary. If we are abiding in love, that love will permeate our being and touch everyone and everything that touches our life. The love of God that abides in us is to be known and experienced through all of our life. His love is to touch and impact the lives of others through us. To know His love is to show His love. The love of God abiding in our life will show itself in our love for God and in our love for one another. By this we can know that God abides in us and that we abide in God. If that witness of love for God and love for one another is not in our life, then we do not have the assurance that God abides in us or that we abide in God. Now, I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation. In fact, John's writing this letter, and he's trying to bring assurance to the believers of their salvation. When we get to chapter 5, we're going to see this explicitly stated by John. So God wants us to have assurance of our salvation. God wants us to know that He loves us and that He abides in us and that we abide in Him. And we have this assurance as we abide in His love. Sometimes people ask me, how, do, how will I know God loves me? How do I know God loves me? And I'll, I'll just ask them, do you love God? Well, yes. Then you can be sure God loves you. Well, how? Because we love God because He first loved us. Love didn't begin with us. We didn't just wake up one morning and decide we were going to love God. Hey, let's try loving God. See if that will work out for us. No. If you love God, it's because God loved you first. If you love God, it's because God chose you before the foundation of the world. If you love God, it's because you are His elect. And He, though you didn't deserve it, He chose to love you and give you mercy and grace. Verse 16, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, 
And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. What a beautiful, powerful, assuring statement that is. Praise God who has graced us with his love in Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what God has done for us. He has graced us with his love in Jesus Christ. Let's prepare to come to the table. Let's all stand. I'll give you your charge. We'll sing the doxology and then I'll give you a benediction. Love is more than the vertical, personal relationship we have with God. In fact, if our concept of God's love is in a vertical context only, we have either missed or disobeyed God's command to us to love. Yes, there is a vertical love between God and His children, but that love must extend horizontally from us to one another. John is warning that if we do not love our brother, we do not have the love of God in us. Our charge from God is to make sure our love of God is known in our love for one another, and that love is true as measured by the Scripture. Love always comforts the afflicted. Love always afflicts the comfortable. Do not forget, love demands both, or it is not love. We must love enough to speak the truth. We must speak it with all the bold gentleness and caring correction that love demands. We are not charged to simply be nice. God charges us to love. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him.